You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. All right, let's get back to some boring subjects. Understand the risk to our country. Freedom brings people together. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians Network. Learn more at wearelibertarians.com. Welcome to We Are Libertarians. This is episode three. 13. Let's go with that. On September 4th, 2018, my name is Chris Spengel. Today we're going to be talking about the world is getting better in almost every measurable aspect. Why do we think it's getting worse? We're going to talk about Kaepernick and uh, all the clothing lines started by the Nazis. And then we're also going to talk a little bit about Brett Kavanaugh. This episode of We Are Libertarians is coming to you here in just one moment. Warning, this show is for adults, produced by semi-adults. So the language is sometimes strong and offensive. Uh, I don't know what I said. Uh. Welcome to We Are Libertarians, where our goal is to help you sound smarter while talking to your friends. We examine current events from a libertarian perspective while treating modern politics with all of the irreverence it deserves. There has been lie after lie. We toss out the screaming heads, put people before political parties, and give context to the news to make you think. Now, here's our host, a 15-year veteran of politics and media, Chris Spangle. Hey, everybody. It is Chris Spangle here on We Are Libertarians. Um, I'm uh, playing. I'm sorry about all the, the... I'm still getting used to all this. By episode 400, I will have it down. Mm-hmm. Uh, Harry, how are you today? Highly caffeinated. Harry came in shot out like a cannon. <laughs> shot out of a cannon. I yeah, think. pretty much. Um I just unpacked my espresso machine at work, and um, I'm not. I haven't gotten dialed in, used to it yet. It being there, like on tap, there, ready for me to go. Yeah, uh, and when he says espresso machine, he means he had eight shots of espresso in one cup. Yeah, it was awesome. I just poured it. Well, because it's like one of those craft ones instead of like the ones you put the little like cup underneath. Right. So it's like a craft. So I get this huge craft, and you're just like, oh, you're supposed to share this. F that, and I poured it in a coffee cup, and I, <laughs> I threw some Kerrygold butter, and then just walked off. Butter in your coffee, huh? You're yeah. you're one of you're on the Dave Asbury diet, huh? I just li- like the butter sometimes. <laughs> sometimes I just do it straight black, but sometimes I put butter in it. Are you keto? Um, not right now. I'm actually taking a keto break because I miss my carbs, but I'm gonna get back on. Okay, probably in October, maybe. You seem like the type who did keto long before anybody knew about keto. Well, the thing is, like, um, I think uh, I think I was on keto. I I did it. No- Basically, not knowing about it, right? I did a lot of it. Uh, try to go low carb and stuff like that, and eat more proteins and meat, and like only get my carbs, especially from vegetables. So, you know, I'm not saying like, oh, I just know about new nutrition stuff like that. It's just, you know, it's more of a, that's what my body responded to. So I, that's what I ate. Right. I am. Uh, I'm. I'm keto plus carbs. That's what I am. Keto plus carbs. Yes, huh? I, I do keto plus carbs. Mm. It works out great for me. 
Hmm, that's good. That's good. I've just been enjoying the really good beers for, that Triton has put out from going from Liberty and Chill. Every Friday, they yeah. have put out some really, really great beers. Actually, one of my favorite beers just came back um, is the Hempire Strikes Back. That's Hempire Strikes Back. They have put hemp seed powder into this beer. So it's it's really strong and it's really, really fun. Um, I like it, you know, one, because it's, you know, it's punny. And then, but, but of course, most of the Triton seasonal, like, uh, they do, they do like rotational stock of beers. So the first one I really get to hooked is the Ale Pacino, which is a <laughs> okay. espresso stout. All right. I hate that. How dare you? I hate puns. I <laughs> <laughs> so Ale Pacino, Empire Strikes Back. You hate, you hate that? Uh, I hate puns. Yeah. I, I I'm not a pun fan. Did you see me just get attacked over here? Yes. I, it was like, <laughs> now I got to fix the camera because I had to like start picking my nose because it was like all of a sudden it was like allergies started attacking my face. I'm sick of being social engineered. It's not funny. <laughs> so I got a new board. Yeah. Yeah. I have all kinds of fun things to play with over here. See that. Get your toys I there. Words. I had the best words. It's going to be one of those episodes, huh? Do you understand that? <laughs> this is what yep. I did. This is what I did this weekend. I just uh, filled the board with all kinds of sound clips. Get out. Nice, useful, useful drops there. Don't be rude. That, see, that was useful. <laughs> <laughs> Holy fuck. Oh, just... Something wrong. All right, I won't. I, I won't need, burden the show with this anymore. Thank you. Leave it to professionals of that wall is known for. Leave that for the Chris Bengel show. Oh, trust me, me having new toys that is that is going to just complicate things and make it worse. Yeah. Oh yeah. We got we got some cool new music. I don't put chemicals in the water. They turn the freaking frog gay. Do you understand that? Turn the freaking frog gay. All right, that's enough of that. Want to stay right at the top of the show here? I don't know what that what was going on with my tongue there, but uh, shout out to Craig DeCosta. Uh, so I got I got home. My birthday is September 9th. Uh, today's mm-hmm. the fourth, and I got home, and Craig DeCosta had sent me a birthday present. Isn't that nice? And you 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 uh, were playing with my equipment. Yes, you, yes, I did. It, it's it's really nice. It's the Zoom H1 field recorder. I recorded today's Chris Spangle show with it. It's really, really cool. Even even cooler than I thought when I put it on the list. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so yeah, it's a game changer. It it, it is very impressive. Um, I love its very compact, small size yeah. and very lightweight. So you can actually have it on your person, and it it, it basically gives us. A, Spangle has no excuse to bring this recorder places and record for us now. It literally is this recorder that I can put in my back pocket. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's pretty sweet. Yeah, it's a carry-on, too. So, like, if, you know, stuck on a plane, you know, throwing in a cup holder and, you know, go on a road trip. Yeah. You know, it's it's it, it's an amazing little recorder. I didn't even know they made something so small that Zoom's made something like that. Yeah. No, Zoom is and Zoom th- is top quality. If you're doing podcasting, Zoom rules. Yeah. And and I think you said like all the like the attachments all fit on that one too. Yeah. So the Zoom H6, which we use to record the shows and on the road, mm-hmm. has all these different attachment features and you can put it on the Zoom field recorder. It's pretty badass. Oh yeah. It's, it's a nice piece of equipment. Yeah. So uh thank you to Craig DaCosta. You're always too generous and too thorough with uh, your presence and we're looking forward to seeing you at the end of the month i said last month he's gonna be here tuesday and then he sent a message and he was like uh hey uh that's the end of september not the end of august i was like i don't know the difference i don't know clocks (laughs) 
Oh man, you don't so, want to go back and you want to debate clocks and time and why you know the calendars are wrong anyways. Exactly. Like I don't believe in. I don't believe. Did you hear that they're trying to get rid of the atomic clock? Well, what? No. So, so there's a. Seems like something I would. No. This is something you should be aware of. So I don't think the the clock necessarily, but there is a frequency mm-hmm. that syncs time devices. Right. And they're they're defunding that in the in Trump's next budget. So that's going to go away. And there's a and people are like, please don't do this. You're Good. Gonna, you're going to screw everything up. No, they're probably already screwing things up. We just don't know about it because of you know the government's funding it and has people there for it. Well, don't you believe in time? Well, it's a good measuring tool. Yeah. Already, what like super like I don't want to say nihilistic, but like super um, dread time on um, um, Escalgia applause on um, think of Saturday night. Yeah, it was Saturday night. Uh, shout yeah. out to Escalgia applause. Also, a big shout out to Joshua Sexton. You're drinking on one of the glasses that he got me oh, for yeah. my birthday as well. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, and so they're like these frosted glasses with some of our sayings on the other side and the logo on one side. They're beautiful. Mm-hmm. This Very be, nice. This would be great with beer, though. You know that? Go check out uh, these glasses over on the uh, We Are Libertarians YouTube. If you could go and subscribe. It, you don't have to get me anything for my birthday. Okay. I'd prefer it, but you don't have to. But uh, all I want is a YouTube subscription. Go go subscribe to our YouTube channel. Let's get to 1,000, please. And when we get to 1,000, I'll wear my penguin onesie on the show. <laughs> now, why would anyone want that? Everyone wants to see the penguin onesie, but I've re- reserved it for 1,000. I haven't even wore it on, like, there's been several different streams that people have, like, you know, said they would pay money to see this thing. But you know what? No. I'm not gonna. I'm holding it back till we get to a thousand subscriber on the YouTube. I channel. listen. I support you to dress like a freak. Mm-hmm. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When did you buy this onesie? What? How old were you? Um, thirty-three. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I was drunk. I was drinking. I was on Amazon. Um, well, stop right there. That's enough. Yeah, and I bought it. Hey, it fits. It's comfy. It's really warm. Helped because the basement's very cold. So. Uh, yeah, you you were like, I've got to bring it over here. It's so cold. Over it, here. Yeah, it is freezing in here. So please subscribe so I can wear it because it's cold. All right. So but let's. Does they fi- see 55, 65 degrees? It's 97 degrees outside. That's not an exaggeration. It's literally 97 out. <laughs> I got in my car at 5 p.m. It was 97 degrees. So you're damn right it's 65, and my butt is sweating. I don't know if I'm looking at you or that blanket. You go get the blanket. Go go on. Go get on your little lady toes and twinkle on over there and grab yourself a blanket. How dare you? Can't stand the the cold. It's cold. <laughs> You're a baby. All right. Um, uh, I want to. I want to present some information to you. Uh, at least a theory. There's a book out that I think everybody would be interested in. It's called "It's Better Than It Looks" by Greg Easterbrook. Two G's and Greg. And uh, the basic premise of the book is, I know everybody thinks everything is terrible, but everything's actually getting a lot better. And it was like a a cool drink of water in swimming in the world of Trump's, everything is awful, Mm -hmm. we're all going to die. And then you tune into Bernie Sanders and everything's awful, we're all going to die. And like America has, for the first time, has a, a populist president. And so 
the way that a populist works is they make everything seem awful mm-hmm. so that you, they stay in power. But uh, I thought it was, and then obviously the media has to make everything seem awful to get your attention. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was an interesting uh, point of view. And so I want to just read a little bit of this book. Obviously, I don't want to give it away, uh, but um, and I'll put it in the show notes so you can go and check it out. Um, many of you are going to be very excited by this uh, very first sentence here. The mid-19th century French philosopher Frédéric Bastiat maintained that when assessing any situation, it is vital to consider what might have occurred instead. His essay on the topic, That Which is Seen and That is Which is Not Seen, has become the foundation of what economists now call opportunity cost analysis. Don't think solely about what happened. Think about as well uh, about what did not happen and thereby is unseen. So he goes through a bunch of different things that aren't happening, and this is kind of the premise of the book. Mm -hmm. And so I want to encourage you to read this book. So I'm going to give you a little information about this book because I think the the uh, the information that he's outlining, and I'm only in the first couple chapters or whatever, but I found it to be fairly interesting. Granaries are not empty. It has been two centuries since Malthus said rising populations would lead to mass starvation, unavoidably, as an iron law. But during the 60s, it was predicted that hundreds of millions, perhaps billions, soon would die of hunger. Instead, by 2015... The UN reported global malnutrition has declined to the lowest level in human history. Nearly all malnutrition that persisted is caused by distribution failures or by government corruption, not by lack of supply. Hunger could be eliminated in our lifetimes. Resources are not exhausted. In the 70s, it was commonly forecast that petroleum and natural gas would soon be gone by around the year 2000, leaving society desperate for fuel. Instead, oil and gas are in worldwide oversupply, so readily obtained and so inexpensive that the greenhouse gases they release are causing climate change. Minerals and ores are are also expected to run out, and they are instead abundant. Resources have not been depleted, despite incredible proliferation of people, vehicles, aircraft, and construction. There are no runaway plagues. Unstoppable outbreaks of super viruses and mutations were said to menace a growing world. Instead, nearly all disease rates are in decline, including the rates of most cancers. In 2000, the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention reported that infectious diseases have declined so much that obesity is killing far more Americans than germs. Death rates from infectious diseases have fallen nearly in all nations, including the poorest. Global longevity improves, not just in the U.S. and the EU. In almost all nations, the human family is living longer while suffering fewer heart attacks and strokes. Even in the poorest nations, there is no sign that longevity increase, increases have peaked. The Western nations are not choking on pollution. A generation ago, Denver, Houston, Los Angeles, and San Diego were unha- uninhabitable owing to smog, while air pollution in many areas of the U.S. and Europe did widespread respiratory damage. Today, Los Angeles air quality has improved so much that the L.A. basin goes years between serious air quality alerts, while in 2014, San Diego had its lowest smog level since record-keeping began. Nationally, since 1990, winter smog is down by 77%, and summer smog down by 22%. Improvements achieved as the U.S. population grew rapidly. As recently as the 80s, acid rain was expected to destroy forests in the eastern United States and Central Europe. Since 1990, sulfur dioxide, the main cause of acid rain, has decreased by 81% in the U.S. and is sharply down in Europe. Appalachian forests in the U.S. and the Black Forest in Germany are in the best condition they have been since the 18th century. Cities in Africa, Asia, and India remain unaffected 
or remain afflicted by smog and also by smoke, the latter long since eliminated from Western air except around wildfires. But in most developing nations, the trend lines towards less air and water pollution, even as ever more people are alive, engaging in ever more economic activity, there is one global exception to the trend lines, greenhouse gases. And don't believe talk radio. Artificial climate change is scientifically proven. The economy drives everyone crazy, but it keeps functioning. Many have gotten airsick from economic turbulence, but there hasn't been a global crash since the Great Depression eight decades ago. Living standards keep rising for almost everyone, especially those to whom what trend is most important, the poor. Goods and services are in ample supply, and almost every year, global per per capita GDP sets a record. Middle-class income growth is soft throughout the Western nations, but middle-class buying power, which matters more than pre-tax income, keeps rising. That shrinking middle class you've heard so much about? In the U.S., the main reason the middle class is shrinking is large numbers of people are moving up and not down, which uh, Thomas Sowell has talked about. I'm reading his book, Controversial Essays, and in it he talks about how the people who were poor, who were in the poor bracket 20 years ago Mm -hmm. in the 70s, are now in the upper tier bracket, and it's a whole new generation of poor people who will be in the, you know, you and I were poor when we were in our 20s, and then by our 40s, we're going to be considered middle class, and then we'll be rich by the time we're 60, hopefully. So, you know, the, the idea that everybody, the shrinking middle class exists, it's like, no, it's because more people are be- getting more wealth. Correct. So, the global economy is hitting on all cylinders in one respect that cannot be observed within the U.S. or EU. Developing world indigenous rapidly indigence rapidly being reduced. In 1990, 37% of humanity lived in what the World Bank defines as extreme poverty. Today, that number is 10%. So we went from 37 when I was in kindergarten to 10%. Okay? <laughs> At my 20th year reunion. It may be small a small consolation to anyone in the American upper Midwest or the northern part of England who lost a manufacturing job because of global trade. But the same forces that caused a relatively small share in the U.S. and uh, U.K. to experience economic distress also caused a gigantic reduction in suffering in Africa, Asia, and Latin America. The decline of developing world poverty should be viewed as the focal story of the last quarter century. Since that story cannot be observed from the U.S. and Europe... Westerners are largely unaware, which was sort of the whole point of NAFTA and the World Bank and all of these programs. It was a global redistribution of wealth, mm-hmm. and it worked. So, um, Worked for some. Yeah. Crime and war are not getting worse. A generation ago, as murder rates rose and the superpowers stocked their arsenals, a horrific future of violence-ravaged cities. We've got to have a crime bill. Mm-hmm. And constant warfare seemed in store. Instead, since 1990, crime rates have declined sharply in the United States and many other nations. Central Park, after dark, now is as safe as Yellowstone. Let me flip my page here. Um excuse me uh so it this urban revival that benefits almost everyone including african americans who are today much less like likely to be homicide victims than a generation ago and also less likely despite horrific exceptions to this rule to be harmed police than in past decades although there are poignant exceptions including the syrian civil war since about 1990 the frequency and intensity of combat have gone down worldwide While global per capita arms spending has entered a cycle of decline, 
Rather than add nuclear bombs, the U.S. and the Russian Federation have disassembled tens of thousands of these nightmare devices, then destroyed the parts in the presence of witnesses. Since about 1990, a person's chance of dying of violence has dropped to the lowest it has ever been, stretching back to the mists the mists of prehistory. That statement holds even considering the 2016 wave of Islamic terror attacks in Europe and the mass shootings in America. Other than in Afghanistan, Iraq, Sudan, and Syria, in 2016, the chance of anyone in any nation dying by violence was at a historic low. Even under population pressure, the world grows steadily faster. The dictators aren't winning is his final point. During World War II, when darkness spread across both hemispheres, only a handful of free societies held the line against tyranny. After the war, communism brought... Uh, brought police state poverty to China and the Soviet Union, seemingly to finish the job fascism started. Farsighted thinkers such as George Orwell predicted the coming of global absolute dictatorship that would crush freedom out of existence. Instead, it's been victory after victory for the ballot box, human rights, and public opinion. Some nations are relapsing, such as Russia and Turkey, and others are in disarray owing to what democracy theorist Larry Diamond calls predatory government. See Nigeria and Venezuela. But during the current generation, no nation has gone from freedom to dictatorship, while the largest nation, China, is dipping its toes into liberty, and the second largest, India, holds on, however tenuously, to free expression and free elections. The technological developments that Orwell feared would allow dictators to oversee every minute of life instead have given average people broad access to information their governments cannot control. So that was like a page and a half. Mm-hmm. Okay, and all that information packed into there. I could have I I was highlighting like crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, this book has so many different things. Like he talks about uh, uh, who who was the Norman. Burla- I need to find the the food scientist in Mexico and India that basically saved two billion people. I mean, it's incredible. Uh, the first part of this book, he talks about him. Let me let me find his name. I mean, it's, it's, this guy has never been. You know, he got a Nobel Peace Prize, but this guy saved two billion people because of science, because he was born in America. Mm-hmm. He was educated in America. He had knowledge that he could then uh, take uh, to the rest of the world. He was born in 1914, Cresco, Iowa. Uh, he went out to tend animals and went to a schoolhouse. Then he went out, then he used to play with crops and how, as a kid, would play with the crops and the soil on the farm. And then he went on to save two billion people. Um, Norman Borlag. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. I mean, Norman Borlaug is a guy who has gone to Mexico and South America and India and Asia and China and has basically taught them various farming methods. And, And they talk about GMOs and they talk about how we've broken the back of the Malthusian trap where as population, population can only increase with the food supply. Correct. But we're now at a point where we can, we can feed on our current world food supply because of technological advances, 20 billion people. 
and we are using less and less land for agriculture. So we're, the world is getting so much better in terms of just food, which has always been the most common problem for humans. Uh, the most common problem now is we eat too much. It's an America problem. It's not an America problem. It's happening in, in, in the Middle East. It's happening in Asia. It's happening in all in all over the world. People are eating too much food. America does the best. Right, yes. We uh, are, of course, the best at eating too much food. Damn straight. <laughs> Get that right. Uh. So I'm very excited to go and read like the rest of this book because, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm sorry if my mic sounds funky to you, dear listener, but I'm I'm there's something going on. There's some ghost in the wire, and I can't figure out what it is, but... Uh, uh, maybe it's this. It's Mitten's not. love. Mitten it, love. It's my... something. Something is. So you, you hear that? You made. Yeah, you hear yeah, that? Buzz? I hear it now. Yeah. yeah. When you did that. But check one two. Check check. check I didn't check, hear it like check. normally, but you... yeah. So it's it's really like that whole time. I'm like, oh, this is pissing me off. Maybe I don't have my headphones hit up that high. All right, maybe the, it, but, that that seems to be a little bit better. But uh, yeah, check one two. All right. Uh, but yeah. See, we, damn but, it. Uh, there we go. Okay. Right, yeah. With ahead, with with GMOs. Um, which you know got to fear them by organic um you know, you're right we're using less um land for agriculture which people which in the midwest are building vinyl stupid villages so there's more suburban houses out there but also with the less and farm lands and the use of it um, it also gives way for people to actually put solar and wind farms out there even though they're stupid and silly and you know i don't think they're practical but right they, you know hey you, you know that gives if you want to use and have solar power and wind power, hey, you're gonna to have to use GMOs to get free up land to be able to put these things at. So right, which yeah. is up there. But I remember uh, like going through when you were reading this, like yeah, because when, growing up like in the '90s, like '90s kids, like yeah, you and I, um, we grew up on Captain Planet. And that's all Captain Planet was. Yeah. Every time, like we're gonna run out of food, acid <laughs> rain, they're gonna do all this stuff. Garbage is killing us. Plastic is bad. Stop using paper, and then you get becoming adult, and you realize, wait a minute, hold on, hold on, this is. There's some nuance to this sucker. Yeah, there's some the, maybe yeah. a little bit of bull bull ass being spread around. Yeah, like um, people go like, ah, you know, like when it comes to recycling, right, and like plastic and garbage and waste management. Remember, waste management, or um, as a company, I'm not saying like as a company. I'm just saying waste management as in just waste management we, in general, we, the whole waste industry. Sorry, we get it, Captain Ree. <laughs> Thank you for being very explicit and making sure that everyone understood exactly what we already knew. Captain Ree. <laughs> literalists, literalists unite. Put your, put your rings. Oh, oh, please. Can you adjust yours just to the left? It's not quite aligned properly. Anyways, they become the, um, the waste industry actually storehouses for a lot of our waste. They're not. You know, they understand that, hey, they can only put fill in landfills up to a point. Yeah. So they have plans in order to deal with it. Like the plastic and stuff they separate. Yeah, it's kind of expensive now to do anything with that plastic other than stored, but they've got land. So they just kind of store the plastic into different databases, basically, in the ground. So when it becomes time, like, wait a minute, it is now cheap to, you know, pull this plastic out of the ground and use it for recycling. So use it for new plastics. Right. So they pull it out and they use it. You know, so it's like so your plastic straw isn't hurting nobody. <laughs> Anybody, thank you. Hitting nobody. Anyways, then when it comes to um what else what I wanted to hit on. So you got that, then paper. The whole like, oh don't use paper, hurt a tree. Yeah, but 
paper is just a renewable resource. Well, the the don't the paper companies plant more trees than if it had were growing naturally? Exactly. Like, they have yeah. their paper farms. They're farms. Right. They're tree farms. Yeah. You know, tr- you know, trees grow. There's some trees that grow fast. There's some trees that grow slow. But you know, that's why there's. Well, before this summer, there was more trees in the United States than there probably have ever been. But uh, well, that I'll have was. Let's give, we'll give a new count now. Yeah, that's summer. the whole point of this book, and and so it's uh okay, good. I got the mic stuff. Um, the whole point of the book is basically that everything in every sector is getting better because humans are keep, keep they're picking up after themselves a lot better. Yeah, you know, as pollution goes down, and so it's easy to say because the narrative is that government has grown and it's more bloated and it's bigger and it's doing more than ever, and that's not untrue. Correct. Um, but it's easy to say so because the size of government and regulation has grown, that's why everything is better. But it's easy to say that on a macro level. But once you get to the micro level and you start to see all the little roadblocks, for instance, that are in place, Mm -hmm. then you start to see, oh, if we freed the markets even more, the reason that things are changing so rapidly that food and business and currency and and poverty is being alleviated, all these things are changing, it's because China, Brazil, South American countries... African countries, uh, China, I think I said them, India, I meant India, are all starting to open up their markets and embrace capitalism, embrace more free market principles. That is why things are changing on a macro level. Mm -hmm. On a micro level, if you look at India, for instance, as I, I, I cannot remind, I will do my best to remember this, but it's in controversial essays by Thomas Sowell, if you're interested in it. And he talks about in India... The, the reason that India in 1991 switched from being a poverty-stricken country to a poverty-stricken country with a chance at freeing its people from that poverty is because in 1991, they had massive reforms in the government. They had, you, had to, you had to go through all these hoops and regulations to try and have any kind of business. You had to get regulators to sign off on everything. It was very feudalistic. And once they got those barriers out of the way, then India was an engine waiting to take off. And that's why you've seen... And so the the best part about the world that we're living in, like when we talked about South Africa, we're talking about a people that were freed in 1994. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're talking about India, you're talking about people that were economically freed in 1991. It was the 90s mm-hmm. for the Chinese. It was, uh, you know, the North Koreans coming to a theater near you. So you have these, these third world countries. Now, the reason that Americans, I think, are embracing more of this identity politics is that scares us. Uh, and, it, and it makes us go, holy shit, you know, we may not be on the top and we may not be. And you may be subject to what's called the Thucydides trap. So as one great power fades, another great power rises and those two inherently clash. And so Graham Allison wrote a book called Destined for War recently about uh, America and China having uh, inevitable conflict and how do we avoid that? And uh, because we're a waning power and they're a rising power. For for instance, as I talked about in the Chris Spangle show today, China's approach to foreign policy is economic investment. Correct. So they've embraced Hamiltonian principles that if you go into a country or if you go into the country mm-hmm. and places that are cut off from the rest of the world and you build infrastructure and you build roads out of there, there so you can take lumber from the pines of Georgia to the sawmills of of maryland Mm -hmm. then all of a sudden prosperity starts to happen in maryland and georgia 
whereas it used to just be in Maryland. And so you start to rise people out of poverty. Um, you know, that's one of the good parts. But the bad part is that he believes that the state ought to build those roads and canals and right. and shipping lanes. You know, and wants a central bank essentially to oversee the dips in the market and control currency. So there's there's uh, negative parts to Hamiltonian policy, but you know China is going into these African countries and they're they're not only building them um, roads and bridges and canals and locks and things like that. They're also building them soccer stadiums. Right. So it's goodwill that because they understand that people love what they're in, interested in. They're not interested in roads. Right. And they're also help stabilize their economy and led to like, okay, if China's willing to invest money in there, yes. then, you know, other countries, other people will invest more money into there. Right. So they're just kind of like, you know, they're, they're putting up the front put of the bill. And yeah, and you are correct. Yeah. And China is buying up a lot of Africa. And there's some African countries that are kind of rejecting it or trying to push them out. But, you know, they, China still plays by the rules and they end up getting, you know, being liked by their, you know, the general population. Well, they have a history of this. Yeah, it's they're not doing oh, yeah. it with the sword like the the Europeans did. Right, but the colon the, the the message is basically we're going to come in here, we're going to buy some roads, we're going to steal all your shit. Mm-hmm. We'll we'll give you some money for it, but we're going to way undercut you. Correct. You know, and these local populations in Africa and South America and and Asia are going. Hey, in the stands, especially with when it comes to minerals, like hey, if you're going to come into Afghanistan, we're going to get a cut of what you're stealing. You're not just going to get the grand. You're not going to get the rights to the oil in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. Build us a road, and we're going to call it even. That's not how this is going to work. Correct. Also, Africa. Uh, also, China's also picking up wives out um, in from the uh, Africa as well. Right. So, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. China has such a. Um, because the one-child policy they used to... Yeah, the one-child policy. So there's not a lot of women around, so correct. they're flying to Africa. And, That's another thing they're taking. Yeah. Right? The women. So, beautiful people on the way. Wow, they're just like robbing for resources and, and the women. Hmm. That sounds, sounds familiar, mm, doesn't yeah, it, Yeah, it sounds familiar, yeah. Yeah, it sounds like what your your family did to your uh, fellow Africans, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And white people, don't worry about that. Yeah, <laughs> we enslaved some white people, no problem. Uh, Harry's family were slave traders. Um, yep. It's not even a dispute. I'm not even being racist. Yeah, just, I'm just saying that's yeah, exactly just, what happened. Kinda, yeah. Be careful yeah. when you do your Ancestry.com stuff. Be scared what you find. I'm sick of being social engineered. It's not funny. I'm sick of being social engineered. It's not funny. Well, this has gone terribly wrong already. Yeah. Yeah, it has. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's early morning, you know. It's, Save the drops of the Chris Spangle show for everyone can listen to the early morning like drive-in show. Now that you hate it, I'm going to do more of it. <laughs> uh, Taking so, my meme back. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, this is. Um, why do you think? Why do you think that we think everything's awful? Why do we have this sense that everything in the world is worse? And, and this is why I love HumanProgress.org. It's a libertarian site. I think it's backed by Cato or the Human Humane. Uh, the Institute for Humane Studies. I'm not sure. It's backed by a libertarian think tank, but their whole shtick over at Humane Progress, humanprogress.org is basically to like print stories like this saying, see, free market principles are lifting people out of poverty. Free market principles are changing the lives of people around the world. It's, you know, when you create yeah. economic activity, activity as opposed to aggressive foreign policy then things start to change for the better yeah but why do you think we're so we're so bathed 
in the negativity. As an as someone who lives in the landmass known as the United States, born inside one of the imaginary lines, um, I think it for me. I see it as I know it can be better. I see the chains that are on the system that slows down innovation. I see the the wanton destruction of my pursuit of happiness from the government, and I know that everything could be better. So I think it's more of it's good. Everything's great. But I know it could be better. No, that could just yeah. be me. The world is never enough for me. I'm never happy. I'm never satisfied. You can ask my wife. But, um. <laughs> same. Well, I mean, for me, it is it is easy to, to sit in this 800-square-foot apartment and go, wow, I've got friends with houses, and they've got palatial estates, and they've got McMansions, and you know, and I don't know their balance sheets, so I don't know how upside down they are. Um, I probably have way less debt than them, but... You know, you're in an apartment and you go, uh, wow, I'm in an apartment. Maybe I should get a house. Everybody else is getting a house. And then you study history and you go, if this were not, if this were 1918, I would be in a tenement house in Indianapolis with the rest of my family. We'd be cramped into the same size space, mm-hmm. all of us. Yep. Maybe one room if we're lucky. Go back 200 years and, and go back to 1818. <laughs> Same situation in Indiana. This would be a log cabin, and we'd be in a c- completely small, tiny little. Uh, we wouldn't have heat. We'd have wood fire stoves. We wouldn't have even some of the creature comforts of 1918. Go back to 1718. So it wouldn't uh, be 65 in this house. Right it now? would not be 65 in here. You know, I've got toilet paper. Toilet paper didn't exist till the 20s, mm-hmm, 1920s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So people walking around with corn cobs up their butts trying to get the poop out. Like, that's that's what oh, was man. going on in, in, in around the country. Corn mm. cobs was toilet mm. paper back in 1918. And since we got toilet paper, we can have White Castle. That's right. I Before the show, I walked in there. I got some silky smooth Cottonelle wipes. I wiped down my booty. I took a pee. I flushed the toilet. And I never have to deal with any of that waste again. A hundred years ago, not the case. I went to Stacked Pickle tonight, and I had someone make me food, and it was a cheeseburger. And a cheeseburger is bread. It is lettuce. It is tomato. It is onion. It is cheese. It is burger. Meat. Red meat. Mm -hmm. I had french fries. I had uh, chicken wings. Okay? Think about Think about all the different plants and animals that you would have to curate a hundred years ago to make yourself a hamburger. And it's actually called the hamburger test. Can you get cheap meat, cheap bread, cheap vegetables to make yourself a hamburger in India? They're starting to be able to buy themselves hamburgers. They're eating the cows? Well, I mean, they're probably, I mean, I'm sure a large number of the Indians in India are Christians like American Christians, but. <laughs> But the point the point holds. Yeah. Think about a hundred years ago, a cheeseburger was impossible. You couldn't go through a drive through to get it. Look at the progress that we have made in society. All the different creature comforts that you have that you take for granted, but you compare yourself to other people, and instead of comparing yourself to your place as a human being in time and the progress that humans have made over the last couple of generations, even from your grandparents, my grandparents grew up you know my great gram or my grandmother grew up in the great depression mm-hmm. i'm talking to her about you know what did you eat during the great depression and she said well <laughs> pot- <laughs> potato soup you know this is a woman who grew grew up five minutes north of where i live right now and she grew up in a house with eight other brothers and sisters and her parents her dad worked for the wpa her mom took care of the kids 
She said, we ate potato soup. I go, what was in the potato soup? She goes, potatoes and water. (laughs) And she goes, sometimes my mother would beg for a chicken leg or beak so she could flavor the water, make it chicken broth. You know, my great-grandfather during the Depression was a barber down in southern Indiana for farmers, and people would come in every Friday and put a nickel down on a haircut. Mm -hmm. And when they got to four weeks and got to 25 cents, then they could get a haircut. They had to put a down payment on a haircut. This was 1935 Wow! in the United States, two hours south of here. Down payment on a haircut. Down payment on a haircut. So Now people putting down payment on Jordans. <laughs> right, exactly. Oh, we'll get to that. So we have all of these blessings. We have all of these advancements, and we're so unhappy with everything. It's like the Louis C.K. bit. Every, uh, I dare play Larry C.K. I don't want to lose my license as a reputable member of society, but uh, I don't know if you've ever heard this comedy bit, but let me pull this up. I, I don't just, like Louis C.K. Uh, why not? Why not? It's not funny. Why not? It's just not, I just don't think he's funny. It's his comedy. I, I just don't get it. I don't think you're funny. Now, Will Sasso. Now, that's a comedian. Okay, shut your mouth. All right, here's, here's Louis C.K. on uh, the old Conan. Flying is the worst one because people come back from flights and they tell you their story. And it's like a horror story. It's They act like their flight was like a cattle car in the 40s in Germany. That's yeah. how bad they make it sound. Right. They're like, it was the worst day of my life. First of all, we didn't board for 20 minutes. And then we get on the plane and they made us sit there on the runway for 40 minutes. We had to sit there. Oh, really? What happened next? Did you fly through the air incredibly like a bird? Did you partake in the miracle of human flight, you non-contributing zero that you got to fly? You're flying! It's amazing. Everybody on every plane should just constantly be going, oh, my God! Wow! Yes! You're flying. You're, You're sitting in a chair... In the sky. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I was more laughing at Conan and Andy Richter laughing. Mm -hmm. I heard you laughing. It was because of Andy Richter. Um. But the the point stands. You're in a chair in the sky on a technology that didn't exist 100 years ago. Well. Well, whatever. 110 years ago. Okay. Okay. I want to make sure. (laughs) Do you people see what I put up with? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but so yeah it we just have to have perspective on our place in history i think we're we're an impatient species so we think everything should move quicker trust me everything is moving very quickly and that's part of why we're unsettled well, yeah. but i think in terms of human evolution and, and and i mean things are just changing for us so rapidly that we're we're De- decade after decade losing track of how much we've advanced in even decades right i and i don't think the human body has really kept up with it all personally right. um just listen to what's uh, latest episode of sovereign tech they were sitting there talking about that you know this interconnected world we've been we in the last 30 years we've become even more connected in this globalized world that you know we haven't even adapted to it yet human yeah. body's great at adapting but like this the simple fact that you could have friends on the other side of the world and communicate with them and be tethered to them, it's, you know, that's it's unrealistic, especially have instant, instant communication. Yeah. And you could technically never be off, but 
you're always on and you can always be on and always working it's it's insane that you know you know that's never happened just like all right in like in a workplace if you think about like 30 years ago before really probably like what five people in an office building had a computer yeah and they're freaking huge mm-hmm. and then you also had like you just simple fact that i'm gonna send me like just like today i had to send mail three um, um emails to a couple of different vendors in other states to get to get um, it contracts in other states you know, 30 years ago, one wouldn't be an IT department, so I wouldn't be doing this, but I would have to get like a mail stamp, write into this, uh, type this thing out on my typewriter, right. make sure it was spell checked correctly, and throw this in an envelope and put it down the chute. Now I just got to do the it. hassle. Do it. Do some Grammarly. Hit send. Oh, you got to use Grammarly. Yeah. Grammarly saves my butt daily. My, my, my job makes me use it. Good. Yeah. I make my employees use Grammarly, too. You're posting on the internet as the brand. You're you're using Grammarly first. It's a program that checks your grammar and spelling. Yeah, it's okay. Hit me up if you want to use it. I'll put I'll put on uh I'll give you a code and that way I get points. Oh, okay, I'm but, not gonna do it. I I can't post for the page anyways. <laughs> you can. You're not. You're an ad, You're the only other admin to the page. Did you, what? No, I can't. I I noticed that today. I changed it. I made you an admin. What? No, 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 no. Did you see? Not see what Facebook says. I could says I can't post. Yeah, you gotta verify yourself. I'm not doing that. I refuse. <sighs> Harry, I refuse. This whole Colin Kaepernick thing has you real up. <laughs> <laughs> Just do it. I think that. Um, uh, but yeah, the, the the idea that like travel, right? The simple fact you can get a car and just travel and be somewhere right. like a, just like, you know, I get upset really. I mean, uh, a lot of people in other states don't understand this, but people who live in the Midwest and, and understand this, a th- to me, a 30 minute drive is egregious. Yeah. I, I have a 30 minute commute and I hate it. <laughs> yeah. No, I think the, the freedom of movement for Americans is so easy and food is so easy and things are so easy. That we've lost right that, that we've lost sight that the ability for that you have a right to freedom of movement, for instance, right. like you you don't even you're not even aware that's a right of yours, you know. So we're at a point where people are so free mm-hmm. and so it, they have it so easy that they've lost touch with what is a right and what is not a right. You know the we'll we'll talk about this later, but you know in the New York Times article, this is a reporter that reads like an editorial. Mm-hmm talking about he would expand gun rights it's like no you've limited gun rights he's giving me my rights back right you know people have just lost touch with what it means to be um a human in the way that humans have existed for twenty thousand years Mm -hmm. at least 10 you know like i think in the last hundred years we've really lost touch what it means to be a human being a pack animal poor hungry abused by the elements of nature mm-hmm. like we just lost touch with all of that attacked by bobcats wolves yeah you know, stuff like that right well yeah because uh, we've had our gun compromised we've compromised right you know it's you know it's yeah if you, it you, you're definitely right i will give you that it's people are just also you, they're not really looking at different things especially when you now, like, it's not like huge bag on millennials either. Like, oh, look how easy they have it. But a lot of them don't. They, you're right. They really don't understand how bad they have it. Yeah. So I think like the a lot of the tradition uh, in America to go hunting or go camping, you know, you're basically like it's fun for us to pretend that we're in the 1800s, but with like 
awesome supplies. Well, <laughs> t- take women's rights. You look at women's rights, and you you listen to. Lord knows I go on a lot of dates, right? Mm-hmm. And you hear some of these stories, and it's not good date fodder to say, do you not appreciate your place in history? <laughs> <laughs> Lecturing them on a date is not great. But I, but I will with female friends, because I get that there's problems. I get that you should not you should not feel unsafe in your workplace. You should not be leered at. You should be listened to when you speak up. Your idea is valid, and it shouldn't take another man to validate your idea. You shouldn't be talked over. These are very important things that we have to change. But like, there's a difference between a man leering at you and making you feel uncomfortable and a man raping you and then the police doing nothing about it. Mm-hmm. Because that's what's happening in India, for instance. So I think there has to be some perspective. And I think that's why so many people on the right or some, so many people who are older kind of roll their eyes at a lot of the outrages of the day because they go, this is stupid. Why are you wasting our time with this? Do you know what it was like for your grandmother growing up? Like, it, 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 If you look at the conditions of India and the conditions for women in India or China, but specifically India, that's what life was like for women in Western culture in not as much in Asian cultures because they actually have respected women for a long time, but across the world 200 years ago, 100 years ago. So, yeah, there's progress that needs to be made, but there's also like let's take back and make – let's take a step and appreciate where we're at in history in all of these different intersectional groups. And I I just as a student of history look at a lot of the complaints from the intersectional political crowd and go, I don't get it because – the freedom and rights that you have are it, – it's – yes, you should find the things that still need to be changed in society, but at the end of the day, we're still a heck of a lot freer. So quit pretending that this is Jim the Jim Crow – that America is the Jim Crow South because it's just not. By every measure, every standard, things are massively better for everyone in this country. And um, you know every single ethnic group – Whites included have things in society that they can improve on, and that we that their group can improve on, and that other groups and how they treat those groups can be improved on. But like subservience isn't going to make white males, for instance, behave. It's going to make them more violent and angry. <laughs> like so, I just look at a lot of what's going on, and I just scratch my head sometimes because. I understand where we're at in history. I understand how far we've come. You know, in 1960, there were no blacks able to vote in Mississippi, Alabama, and Georgia at all. So when you're talking about, you know, showing an ID at the polls being some sort of great burden, when here in Indiana, we've had it for a decade and nobody's ever been turned away from from the polls. There's never been one instance of it, except for a few nuns in southern Indiana. They filled out a provisional and then their ballots were cast. It, it's just hard to take some things seriously. The Like criminal justice reform, the drug war, the way that black males especially are treated in America by the criminal justice system, the poor as a whole by our criminal justice system, these are legitimate problems that our society needs to to solve. And I think that if our focus were on that and not Colin Kaepernick and whether he stands for the anthem or not, and I know his point was to raise awareness about this stuff, allegedly, but like that was the wrong way to do it. It didn't work. It just it just 
poured gasoline on stuff. And maybe there's just a certain segment of white Americans that are never going to want to talk about prison reform. They're never going to want to talk about drug reform. They're never going to want to talk about the mass incarceration of black Americans in this country and the destruction of whole, wholesale families. They want to just tell themselves stories that well, it's the black fathers that abandon their kids as opposed to maybe you helped with your vote. You know, there isn't this this view that they that they helped the problem by voting for Republicans and Democrats that perpetuated the system. But, um, you know, I I don't know that I'm closer to an answer. I don't know if there is an answer. I mean, it's individualism is the answer in a lot of ways. You know, you take Louis C.K., for instance. Louis C.K. doesn't owe anybody a damn thing. Well, has he served his time? What does he owe society before he's allowed back in society? He doesn't owe you shit. He owes the women that he abused. He owes the women that he used his power to put them in an awkward situation. He who um, manipulated them into a situation that they were uncomfortable for. Like he owes them a lot. And he may face criminal charges if he had committed a crime. Those are the things that he owes society. But he doesn't owe some advertiser, you know, some white millennial male advertiser in hormone glasses on Twitter. What does, when does he, I don't think he served his time. He doesn't owe you anything because this is America where it's about your individual crimes. You're, you don't owe society anything. You owe those women something. They may never be satisfied, but you still get to be a member of society. You know, it's the same mentality of you're a felon. You're always a felon. You're less than a human being. You haven't, you, you don't, you're not allowed to participate in society. Like, no, fuck you. <laughs> I went to jail. I served my penalty. I now get to participate in society. But I don't owe any stranger an apology. That's collectivist thinking that is just beyond what I can handle. All right. So you're just looking at me, Harry. <laughs> yes, I am. <sighs> And you're not interrupting me, so I don't know if I'm on a roll or if, if, you're, if you're, 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 you're. I'm gonna let you. I'm let you roll. Or if you're just like he's digging himself further, I'm gonna let him go. <laughs> but I, I just the strains of thinking between the intersectional left mm-hmm. and the baby boomer right, the Palin crowd, right, the way that they look at the world and the way that they think about things, it, it's very populist. Mm-hmm. So it's not based on fact; it's based on feelings. And they have they think of things in terms of their block, their identity block, their the blocks that they care about. Mm-hmm. They don't care about facts, but they um, and they don't think of t- things in terms of individualism. I don't care how many flags you put on your post if you're a Republican, you're a collectivist. Yep. If you look at someone like Colin Kaepernick and then uh, apply him to all black people, <laughs> like. How easy is it to hack your election if a few Russian bots can hack your election? How easy is your liberty trampled if one Afro millionaire decides to kneel in front of it? Right. You know, how easy is your patriotism trampled? You know, does it really hurt any of your, you know, like, and it's a lot of people buying into different systems that, you know, they're they're pouring more into it. And then a lot of them won't even like retrospective where that, government religion comes from understanding that you know if it wasn't before the civil war you know that's you know 
what they were t- even talking about is unheard of. Mm-hmm. You know, this idea that you pledge all these allegiance to a government and stuff like this. Like people would have like loyalty to their governments like this, but this like to, like, to the people in government that they knew. Yeah, but not this. But like, not to not this, this broad idea. Broad idea of this. Re- like, I'm sorry. Like, it's a re- you know most of it really does look like and feels like a religious ceremony. And then it was all brought about if you really want to look at it to it from the Civil War. Thanks to Abraham Lincoln. You know, as he tries to be you know America's well, Messiah. it's the idea that but, American is a Christian nation. The yeah. the the whole notion of a christian nation and all of the things that you think around america being a christian nation mm-hmm. were developed during by think tanks mm-hmm. and churches mm-hmm. yep. during the cold war because they wanted put to position their political enemy the soviet union as the godless atheist and so to defeat them and to mobilize people to do things america had to be more moral and so all of this notion that America is more moral than any other government on the planet comes from that era of America. It comes from the late 40s mm-hmm. up until even now with the John McCain, yeah. you know, John McCain whitewashes his entire legacy over a week and he, he presents himself as something completely opposite as opposed to how he was perceived in 2008 because mm-hmm. he wants to be remembered a certain way and he knows nobody's going to call their bull, no, nobody's going to call bullshit on all of the, the, lies that were told over the last week you know barack obama saying be like john mccain okay i'll call my wife a c-word and then i will abuse some reporters and then i will start a war that kills two million people like i'll be just like john mccain okay like a tuesday right yeah exactly so it's it is it's 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 myths that we tell ourselves that we we think are these are just the principles going back to the founding it's like no yeah the people who founded this country did were steeped in judeo-christian values but they didn't intend for a mike pence to use his religion to govern you know or or for the religion of government like richard blumenthal if you watch him during these kavanaugh hearings they, they that's we're thinking a lot of things that just aren't true and it's because we're not dealing in facts correct no one really wants to deal in facts that's uh, when you were talking about louis ck a lot of people really didn't really like read in and really think about what louis ck was you know like what people were mad about louis ck for you know was anything really criminally happened no no nothing like you know could something possibly on like a secular aspect if it was at a workplace and stuff like that but a lot of the stuff has happened after hours right but the since it happened around them inside the Me Too era, they attributed everything that Louis C.K. to to Harvey Weinstein and made him just like him. Right. But, you know, just like uh, Anise Ansari. And so, like, they were trying to pile this all this on. Right. And it's, you know, like... I'm sorry, but the rape carried out by Bill Cosby and Harvey Weinstein is different than Louis C.K. being a pervert right. and saying, can I masturbate in front of you? And then... An awkward yes is said, and then he masturbates. It's that's fundamentally different. Like there, it, it's it's not appropriate. It may or may not be legal, but it's not it's not cro- it's not me crossing that barrier of touching another person. And like I think that really is the standard that we've lost. We've lost that notion that I can say what I want mm-hmm. within reason. I can't commit fraud i can't lie about you i can't you know like i can't lie to you Mm -hmm. for the purpose of of stealing um but at the end of the day there's a fundamental difference between any crime or any action that touches your person Mm -hmm. or uses the government to affect your person Mm 
mm-hmm. versus those that don't. And, and just one other thing, like with our society is getting better, is this one fact that we are able to record and to document things that are like this has happened. So right. it helps prevent, like, 30 years ago, no one believes a lot of the um, violence that a lot of black people say they would have in front of uh, police. And then Rodney King happened. Right. And we got that videotape of that. And more video videotapers coming out. And now with even more, with everyone having a video camera, you're seeing the egregious of that police do on black people. But you're also seeing that it's not just black people. It's it's just poor people in general. Yeah. And just so happens, okay, they're going after black people and a lot of them are poor. Right. But they're also which a lot of you don't want to know talk about they're going after majority of poor white people they're going after white trash yeah and they uh, come after them hard too they taser them they beat them down too i i spent last saturday helping my friend um amanda um if you've listened to amanda's story and her sons and boy scouts she's nine months pregnant she's mm-hmm. real pregnant she's remarried she's happy um you know, uh, some crazy stuff went down. Like the follow up episode is going to have you storm in the city council building. But like as of right now, she's doing good. She's doing well. Uh, I got to see the daughter and the son. I haven't seen them in a few months. And so it was good to sit and talk with them. And, you know, the nine the, like he, you know, the, the boy's a genius. The boy's like 12 and a genius. He starts talking about Pythagorean theorems and mm. and like he's just he's going he's Sheldon Cooper. Like he's that smart. Um, and so we were talking about black holes and we were arguing what makes up a black hole. He says that it creates mass. And I said, no, it's your mom's farts, which to a 12 year old boy, even a smart one like that, he'd lost his stuff. He was like, don't tell my mom that. Um, but so we're at the popcorn place or we're at the bank and we're pushing the popcorn for the Cub Scouts or whatever, you know, and, um, you know, people come in and most people are very nice. And there's in this part of indiana called mooresville mm-hmm. there's two people two kinds of people there's white people and then there's poor white people who mm-hmm. i would qualify as white trash okay and i can identify i'm an expert in identifying them because my dad ran a janitorial company in the 80s and 90s and mm-hmm. i i spent most of my childhood around them and there's a certain mentality that goes along with that 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 mindset of white trashness like you can have no money in your checking account, you can be poor. Harry's like, I want no part of this. But this is the truth. This is the reality. There is a mentality to white trash. Okay, it has nothing to do with your socioeconomic bracket. It has everything to do with how life has beaten you up. It's a victim mentality. And when this boy, who is cute as a button says, help me raise money for for uh, my school scholarship or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. racket the Boy Scouts are selling. Yeah. They don't have the cookies, so they got to, you know, hustle. But the caramel corn is pretty good. Um, <laughs> so you open the door, and nine out of ten people are like, you know, they either, oh, I have no money today, or I'll talk to you afterwards, or yeah, mm-hmm. I'll take a bag, or they're polite and nice. Mm-hmm. Then there's the one out of every ten I ain't got no money. Uh, we don't have time for this. I ain't got no time for this. I, I wish somebody would give me charity. <laughs> you know? Uh-huh. And you want to look at this person and you go, what happened to make you like this? <laughs> yeah, who hurt you? <laughs> right. You know? You know, everybody, you know, to to the point that you can't, 
you may have nothing, but you want everyone to feel sorry for you, including a 12-year-old boy who doesn't have the ability to read your emotions in the first place. Yeah. Let's be honest. Like, he's he, he doesn't feel sympathy for you. He doesn't feel anything for you. He just is trying to make a transaction. It's like, yeah. you know, so he's a very sweet boy. I don't want to make him sound like a sociopath because he's, he's just... You know, yeah. he's on I'm, a spectrum, I'm glad but. you said like there is a like a difference in the mentality because for the longest time I've been trying to like explain to people that you know in Carmel there's white trash up there sure. with money, you know, because it's all the mentality. They've got a little bit of money, and they've just still white trash. Right. It's ah, this guy screwed me over, and you know, it's like they go to the restaurant and the waitress is a problem, and they need to speak to the manager, and it's just you know, they're on benefits, and so they're hassling the benefits lady. Like, it just it's this mentality of people that is so disgusting, and just you know, it's like I would rather hang out in the ghetto, in the ghetto, I would, ha- I'd rather hang out in Juarez, Mexico, with I'd rather hang out with every single you know, uh, 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 victim of boomer hate, target of boomer ire, then hang out with these white trash bullshit artists who are just like, I want you to feel sorry for me because I'm just downtrodden. It's like you were downtrodden from the moment you walked out of the womb. Like, you know, and, and so there's this narrative that we're all supposed to like, kiss their ass a little bit and suck up to these people because they're Trump voters and we you know I'm sorry I'm just not I don't have time for victim mentality no. I don't care what color you are how much money you have whatever if you don't wake up every single day and make your life better I don't have time for you hmm. you know yeah. somebody else did something to me and it's their fault it's it's the Mexicans fault for stealing my job you know what my dad's business that janitorial business was destroyed by immigrants my dad refused to hire illegal immigrants, and his business went under because he refused to break the law. He'd be a rich man right now if he just said, screw it. You know what my dad did? Yeah, the guy who did yeah. became a millionaire because he gamed the system. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what my dad did? I said, well, okay, it's changing, so I'm going to change too. And then now is happy as a clam doing marble restoration and floor resurfacing. You, you adapt. But the person who sits there and gets bitter about the Mexican stealing my job or the black man not kneeling for the sky cloth or mm-hmm. or the, you know, the the white man, you know, the the white straight male did this. Like I'm just so sick of it. Like get your shit together. Quit projecting onto me all of your problems. Quit projecting onto Harry all of your problems. Like we have to at some point as a society say you're being a victim. I don't care to listen to you, and I'm walking away from this conversation. Yeah. Re- uh, racist! <laughs> racist! <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like this whole, this, uh, like, um, um, you probably don't want to get this out, but like this whole Nike and Kaepernick thing, right? With everyone's right. trying. Yeah, I do to, want to talk about when it. When everyone's turning around for like, like, okay, all right, you don't like Nike. Okay, what are you going to do? What else are you going to go wear? What else are you gonna, What right. other sport apparel are you going to wear? Are you going to wear Adidas? You gonna wear Under Armour because if those were what you were going to wear, you were wearing them anyways. Adidas. Yeah. You mean Adidas, who was started by the Nazi soldier? What? Oh no, no. You, you didn't know this. Oh, so no. Adidas was started by. Uh, let's see here, uh, the Nazi sibling rivalry that divided a town and created modern sportswear. Adidas um, has the best Taekwondo gear, by the way. Adi Dossler 
where his Adidas comes from, and Rudolf Dassler started a shoe business in the 20s, uh-huh, uh-huh. which grew into Adidas. They split eventually in 49, uh, and Rudolf started Puma, mm-hmm. and Adidas turned into Adidas. I hate Puma shoes, though. And they were Nazi soldiers in the war. They were infantrymen. Mm-hmm. They weren't, you know, but they were Nazi soldiers. So you're going to leave Nike and go uh, go over to Adidas? How about Hugo Boss? No, he, the I person who too. designed the Nazi SS uniforms, Hugo Boss. Oh, oh crap. They, they were nice looking, though. <laughs> they were, honestly. <laughs> you know, like, the American uniforms look this like whole idea joke. of, you know, this company doesn't support my values, like, I, I like... Yes, I didn't go to Spreaker because they didn't support free speech free speech principles. But like just because Nike Okay, here's the difference. Okay. I'm a free speech product uh-huh. with a free speech platform uh-huh. that bans hate speech of uh-huh. someone who is close to my program uh-huh. in terms of like I'm closer to Alex Jones in their mind than I am to the young Turks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's a that's risk assessment. But if you're Nike, mm-hmm. the Venn diagram, the way that you make your $27 billion a year is the people who consider you a lifestyle brand and buy your shoes, like my little brother who buys their shoes like every week. He buys right. like another damn pair of Nikes. Right. Right? Those are the people that buy those shoes. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those people are black. Okay? The people who are upset about this campaign are the guys who split their money between New Balance and Air Monarch Nikes. Right. The dad shoes. Mm-hmm. The Venn diagram of people that will stop buying Nike and their bottom line when they purchase one pair of Nikes every six years, right. it, it ain't going to hurt their bottom line. The idea that Nike is wrong because they're marketing to black people and people on the left. You're wearing your Nikes? Yeah, I wore my Nikes today in solidarity, too. Um, the idea that they can only advertise in ways that are broad and generic, specifically towards the sentiment of the white male boomer, mm-hmm. kind of proves what a lot of these people are saying. I don't care of what Nike's message about. What I care is they make a running shoe that doesn't make my feet hurt. <laughs> right. Which allows me to run. Oh, they're done in six months. No, no, they're not. No, because they also make a basketball shoe that allows me to play basketball. Yeah, so but they're done in six hurt. months. Okay, me and my friends on the golf, my b- golf buddies, we decided we're not buying Nikes anymore. It's okay. No one, you know, <laughs> okay. no one's really buying Nike golf since uh, Tiger Woods, so it's okay. All right. Um, like it's it just the the arrogance that you and your your friends are going to stop buying Nikes, yeah. and you're going to have any. You had an impact in their stock. There's a news cycle every two to two a day. You're, you know, oh, well, their stock was down. It's like, yeah, well, guess what? Nobody's going to remember this in six months. Do you remember uh, the Sarnayev brother being put on the cover of Rolling Stone in 2013? Of course you don't. You read Rolling Stone because you like Rolling Stone, or you don't read Rolling Stone at all because you don't like their journalism. Exactly. You don't make your decisions based on these little, tiny, uh, these, these flashpoints in our society that don't matter. You make them based on your incentives. Mm-hmm. This is how the economy works. If you make the incentive good enough, people will even Google the incentive for Google to go into China and be evil to make money in China. The incentive for Facebook to make money in China 
and give up their principles of free speech and human and basically human freedom. <laughs> Sorry, is so great that they're violating their own principles for profit. <laughs> People do things for money. They do things because they like things. They don't do things because of news cycles. I said Facebook and principles <laughs> made me laugh. <laughs> Whatever. Okay, but when you're when you're you know basically helping Duarte murder people like well like yeah yeah because like you saying, want access to the market it's like like people who wear adidas right they're either do it because they like the look or because of the where adidas does excel at people will wear adidas they basically like these are especially people who buy performance and buy them all the time either you're buying it because the lifestyle brand is a look or this thing solved this problem you're not going to like just like I'm going to rip out all this equipment because, you know, like, can you imagine if like, right. the, um, um, what is it? Uh, like Behringer came out and uh, started saying stuff and everyone started tossing out all their Behringer equipment because it's pro stuff. It's whatever all the pros use it. And, you know, they start ripping out all these, you know, well, first, no pros use Behringer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, all right, fine. Then Heath and Allen. Okay. Let's say Heath and Allen came okay. out. All, all right. right. All right. All right. All right. Started like, we're going to back, you know, Kaepernick too, you know. We've got immediately. I've got a kneel button, and everyone start reap. First of all, if I see anyone start ripping out and getting rid of their heat or burning their heat, and I'm diving into that fire, put that fire out real quick. Like right. it's still good. It's still good. It still works. It's got three pots left. It still works. It's still good. <laughs> <laughs> but just like I said, like I wear Nike shoes not because I like the brand or something like that. It just stops my feet from hurting. So right. I don't care what they do. Make my feet not hurt. Right. Just like what I, you know, when it comes to my regular shoes, my dress shoes, my boots, I don't care about those. I want, I look, I, I go for a look. It's, it's like the people who are boycotting In N Out and Chick fil A. Like, boy, there's a boycott on, on, uh, In N Out because they donated to some, to some Republican campaigns. And, <laughs> like, so Democrats and progressives in California are boycotting them and they put Bible verses on their stuff. And so I'm never eating it. They're, they're radical right wing. Don't you have bigger problems in your life and in this society than to talk about what company donates to what party? They don't. Like, don't you have bigger problems in this country that, that we could talk about other than whether or not some football player kneels or not? Like, it's not even about Colin Kaepernick got benched. So Colin Kaepernick threw a fit and sat on the bench. When he was asked about why he was sitting on the bench instead of saying I was throwing a tantrum, he said I was protesting uh, the I was protesting the treatment of black Americans by police departments. Mm-hmm. Okay? He made an excuse up why he sat through the national anthem because he looked like a dick and so he was trying to save face. And all of a sudden it turned into this he's this martyr. So this martyr was offered a chance and turned down the chance to play for the Denver Broncos this season. Okay. He turned down two other shoe and clothing companies for this, basically the same kind of campaign and went with Nike because of the, because of the most money. Okay. So when, when the ad says something along the lines of sacrifice everything for whatever, he didn't sacrifice a damn thing. He's making more money now than he ever made because he's on the speaker circuit. He has a life. He's the new Jesse Jackson. He can go and speak at $200,000 at the NAACP or wherever he wants to go speak. You know, he's making 50000 speaking. I guarantee it. They don't have to get hit. 
Having to run, get in shape. Not not having to exercise. He can go eat Ritter's ice cream if he wants. He can have gummy bears in the middle of the day. He's not sweating his balls off in a Houston in the Houston heat. You know, like yep. his life's pretty good. Mm-hmm. So he didn't sacrifice. You know, but and so I don't feel bad for Colin Kaepernick at all. I don't find him to be a sympathetic figure. I don't find him to be somebody to rally around. I think his message was convoluted and weak. Mm-hmm. But I do have a problem when the president of the United States twists the entire thing into whether someone is a patriot or not and uses the bully pulpit of the presidency of the United States mm-hmm. that carries the weight of the force of the United States government and directs it towards a private citizen, a private business, a private industry, and calls them unpatriotic in an effort to whip up a frenzy to help him at the election. That's that's literally called demagoguery. If you don't know what a demagogue is, look it up. You'll see Donald Trump's picture there. Uh, I have a problem with that. I have a problem with him lying about the entire thing for personal gain. It's not about Colin Kaepernick's patriotism, because if you want to know the truth... He's he's a hell of a lot more patriotic than Donald Trump. Well, maybe I don't know. Maybe that's a little too far. But I'm I'm just saying, like the the idea that somebody who has a different opinion than you isn't patriotic is bullshit. And let's also talk about Pat Tillman. Now, here's where it gets real spicy. Pat Tillman, it, it, you know, I've seen his face. He was the NFL player player for the Cardinals. Left a lucrative NFL contract. Went to the Afghanistan war and got killed. Okay, the the idea that Colin Kaepernick saying something about I I don't know how to say this without without getting into trouble. I hate war. I don't value war. I do appreciate the sacrifices that soldiers make because I don't think most people who go over and fight for our country are fighting for anything other than their own incentive. They're trying to get out of situations. They're trying to find a better life for themselves. They're in Afghanistan or Iraq fighting for each other. They're not fighting for the country. And Maybe they are. Maybe some of them are. But, like, what is the country at this point? What is that abstract idea? You know, maybe you can you can keep a geopolitical community together when you've got 3 million people in it, but at 360 with so many varied opinions, what is the country? Like John McCain's version of the country was the United States government. John McCain loved the government. Okay, that, that's one definition of the country. For me, my definition of loving my country and why I have the flag behind me is because I love the principles of the founding of the United States of America, founded on individualism founded on limited government, founded on peace, founded on non-interventionist foreign policy, founded on free markets, capitalist ideals, free speech, free press, free religion. These are the things that make America great. And so what what did Pat Tillman go and fight for? Well, we were attacked. So he was caught up in the spirit and went and fought. But, like, for what? Like, are we honoring his memory by making him a cheap political punching bag in this time period by putting his face and saying, Pat Tillman died for everything. He's a hero. Like, he doesn't deserve to be drug into any of this. Like, like I'm sad for Pat Tillman that he had to go and fight a war. Like, it's not... <sighs> 
he he did a heroic thing and something that I wouldn't do. John McCain was a hero in Vietnam. They went and did things that I wouldn't do for two reasons. A, I'm a much bigger pussy than them. But two, I my personal principles would not lead me to go shoot a gun at someone to change political opinion or to change the direction of a country because it doesn't work. It fails every time. So Pat Tillman was fighting for something that was never going to work and we're still fighting because it will never work. So I look at his sacrifice and his heroism and I go, for what cost? What was the point of that? So to me, it's just a complete tragedy. It's a tragedy that someone went and fought and died in a war because America had bad foreign policy for generations. Like, to me, it's just sad. Like, I would never think of, like, putting Pat Tillman in a meme and using him as a punching bag against Colin Kaepernick. Like, it's a tragedy. Like, why would why would you wake up in the morning and think that's a good idea? Like, that's a person who lost their life killing other people. Like, he's not a political point. Like, it just it just grosses me out. It grosses me out that we think that this is the type of life that that we're going to use to make cheap political points. And that's why everybody just goes, this whole thing is gross. You've got some guy who is lying about why he can't sit during the national anthem, becoming a millionaire because he's lying about stuff. And then we've got another guy who's a tragedy being used as some sort of cheap political point to promote the idea that killing people is the right way to solve problems. Like, it's not the right way to solve problems. So all of this just makes me crazy because the right who are supposed to defend individual liberties can't pull their head out of their ass long enough to realize that a lot of what Colin Kaepernick is saying is right. You have the right to smoke a Chevy engine if you want and, and ruin your life if you want. But the systematic destruction of entire communities around the idea that we're going to put people in jail for smoking a plant is fucking ludicrous. And you never give him enough time to explain what he's saying because you're too busy defending patriotism. Which, what is your definition of patriotism? Killing people? (laughs) I'm not on board. I'm not on board at all. So... The Kaepernick stuff just makes me crazy because it, it, it isn't because I'm on one side or the other. It's because it's so foolish and so hyped up and turned into such a bizarre, weird thing that doesn't reflect reality in any way that I can't stand it. Like, it just, uh, it just gets me so pissed off. <laughs> like, it, the, we're, 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 for political reasons, conservatives don't want to talk about prison reform because this this guy is involved. And then on the other side, these people aren't patriots because they don't agree with me. Like, you're all just completely wrong, and I hate all of you. <laughs> it's like, yeah, can we deal with the people who are suffering inside the system and you can put down your petty differences, you know, when you look at them it's like, listen, you guys are now the problem. You are creating damage. Stop the hurt. Right. Stop hurting people. Like, 
you really if you yeah. if you're gonna fly the flag and you're gonna and you're gonna define patriotism and you're gonna pay, post these memes, you need to understand what patriotism is because it's not what John McCain believed. John McCain believed. Uh, all right, let me play this. Um, so the Brett Kavanaugh stuff is going on right now, and I was gonna rip to shreds this Adam Liptak. A New York Times article about how Brett Kavanaugh would transform the Supreme Court, and uh, I just don't want to do it because I don't I don't think it'd fit in here. But Ben Sass, uh, so Brett Kavanaugh is being considered for the Supreme Court, and the whole thing is another spectacle that doesn't reflect reality. And I feel like so much of what our job at We Are Libertarians, our job is to bring you back down to reality because. It's like one side says something, and then the other side one-ups them, and then they one-up each other, and then they one-up each other, and they're both so far above the ground rhetorically mm-hmm. that they don't resemble anything that that real life resembles. And, like, the idea that this happened today, uh, Kamala Harris and, and Democratic senators staged this bullshit where they had a group of people come in in the Handmaid's Tale costumes and the pussy hats, mm-hmm. you know, and Kamala Harris starts this, she basically cues it off, and then they all go nuts, and then they interrupt throughout the whole day, you know, saying he's going to, it, 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 no, I'm going to go back to the New York Times, because this guy, who is the, this is not an editorial, this is the New York Times reporting this at news, this is what they all think this guy is going to do. Um, let me see here. Uh, it has been more than 80 years since a chief justice was, ju- was the swing vote. If Chief Justice Roberts assumes that position, legal scholars said he will lead a solid five-member conservative majority that would lo- most likely restrict access to abortion, limit the use of race-conscious decisions in areas like college admissions, uphold voting restrictions, expand gun rights, strike down campaign finance regulations, and give religion a greater role in public life. So the whole concept is that this guy's going to do things that liberals hate, and this is bad. You know, the, the one that got me was expand gun rights. He's going to expand gun rights. No, you have rights to any firearm you want, and the right. government keeps taking it away. They're not expanding gun rights because your rights don't come from the government. There's nothing for the Supreme Court to expand. Mm-hmm. The Supreme Court knocks down restrictions on your gun rights. Plain and simple. But the the legal reporter, Adam Liptak, for the New York Times, doesn't understand the American foundational principles of rights. He's yeah. the guy that covers all of the legal system for the New York Times. Well, that's just a philosophical belief that he believes that rights come from the government. Uh, so not from some sort of creator. Of course, it's all laughable thanks to Cody Wilson, which you can go to Defense Distributive right now and purchase gun rights. Literally, like, you can buy the gun that you want to build. Right. So people have been whipped up into such a frenzy. And this is a long clip, but I've, I've just got to give Ben Sass the senator from Nebraska, space to lay this out. All right. And it's very listenable. So it is long, but you're going to like it. These senators have worked people up into the notion that if Brett Kavanaugh gets confirmed to the Supreme Court, he's going to ruin their life. 
Mm-hmm. He's going to usher in Handmaid's Tale. A, a dystopian government will be ushered in. And liberal senators are helping with it. If you had gone back to the Tea Party days and Republican senators, when they did this stuff, like the idea of of the conservative, crazy, detached from reality um, Tea Party wing of the party, it was a threat to democracy. And every Republican who was not like a John McCain or who was a, Lin- a Lindsey Graham, they all had to answer, do you, do you agree or disagree with their existence? Yeah. It was a negative tone. Now the the press, the very same reporters and media outlets are promoting this the same level of hysteria and insanity mm-hmm. as if it's fact. Yes. They're on board with it because they agree with it. Adam Liptak doesn't understand rights. Of course <laughs> he's afraid of Brett Kavanaugh because he mm-hmm. thinks the Supreme Court is the place where legislation actually takes place. Well, a lot of them do. Why do you think they uh, were champion trying to get Sotomayor out there? Right. You know, so that's what they wanted. So they basically set up this spectacle at the beginning of today, and it's and it's not even covered. If that had been Republicans staging this level of bullshit, it would have led the nightly news tonight about how we're losing our democracy, and the, and then you go. I don't know why they don't like us. It's because even people who are on the fence, like me, go, you're so wildly unfair to one side that you can't be trusted. And if you're going to lie about this, then you're going to lie about other stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, you will lay down and report whatever the CIA wants, like you did during Iraq. So you're not to be trusted. You're known liars. Mm Mm-hmm. And then when you get rid of a, when a person that questions your lies all the time by running a systematic campaign to get Alex Jones removed from 15 things, that looks goddamn suspicious. It's weird. Yeah, it looks weird. real weird. <laughs> so Ben Sass basically explains why the Supreme Court has become so uh, contentious. So this is, um, it, get, it gets cut off, but, uh, you know, th- these... These hearings, everybody knows what's going to happen. Everybody understands that Brett Kavanaugh, it doesn't matter what happens here, what ha- it doesn't matter what takes place, he's going to get confirmed. But Cory Booker and uh, and Richard Blumenthal all have to go up there and huff and puff and pretend that they're important and that their vote matters. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're assholes. All right, so here we go. Hating women, hating children, hating clean air, wanting dirty water. Um, you've been declared a quote-unquote existential threat to our nation. Uh, alumni of Yale Law School incensed that faculty members at your alma mater praised your selection, wrote a public letter to the school saying, quote, people will die if Brett Kavanaugh is confirmed. Um, this drivel is patently absurd, and I worry that we're going to hear more of it over the next few days. But the good news is uh, it is absurd, and the American people don't believe any of it. Uh, this stuff isn't about Brett Kavanaugh when screamers say this stuff for cable TV news. The people who know you better, uh, not those who are trying to get on TV, they tell a completely different story about who Brett Kavanaugh is. You've earned high praise from the many lawyers, both right and left, who've appeared before you during your 12 years on the D.C. Circuit, and those who've had you as a professor at Yale Law and at Harvard Law. People in legal circles invariably applaud your mind, your work, your temperament, your collegiality. That's who Brett Kavanaugh. 
Sorry about that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip past the blowjob and just get to the good stuff here. Okay. And they shouldn't have lifetime appointments. So until you introduce that legislation, I don't believe you really want the Supreme Court to be a politicized body. Though that's the way we constantly talk about it now. We can and we should do better than this. It's predictable that every confirmation hearing now is going to be overblown, politicized circus. And it's because we've accepted a new theory about how our three branches of government should work, and in particular how the judiciary should work. What Supreme Court confirmation hearings should be about is an opportunity to go back and do schoolhouse rock civics for our kids. We should be talking about how a bill becomes a law and what the job of Article 2 is and what the job of Article 3 is. So let's try just a little bit. How did we get here and how can we fix it? I want to make just four brief points. Number one, in our system, the legislative branch is supposed to be the center of our politics. Number two, it's not. Why not? Because for the last century, and increasing by the decade right now, more and more legislative authority is delegated to the executive branch every year. Both parties do it. The legislature is impotent, the legislature is weak, and most people here want their jobs more than they really want to do legislative work, and so they punt most of the work to the next branch. Third consequence is that this transfer of power means the people yearn for a place where politics can actually be done. And when we don't do a lot of big actual political debating here, we transfer it to the Supreme Court. And that's why the Supreme Court is increasingly a substitute political battleground in America. It is not healthy, but it is what happens, and it's something that our founders wouldn't be able to make any sense of. And fourth and finally, we badly need to restore the proper duties and the balance of power from our constitutional system. So point one, the legislative branch is supposed to be the locus of our politics properly understood. Since we're here in this room today, because this is a Supreme Court confirmation hearing, we're tempted to start with Article 3. But really, we need Article 3 is the part of the Constitution that sets up the judiciary. We really should be starting with Article 1, which is us. What is the legislature's job? The Constitution's drafters began with the legislature. These are, these are equal branches, but Article 1 comes first for a reason, and that's because policymaking is supposed to be done in the body that makes laws. That means that this is supposed to be the institution dedicated to political fights. If we see lots and lots of protests in front of the Supreme Court, that's a pretty good litmus test barometer of the fact that our republic isn't healthy. Because people shouldn't be thinking they are protesting in front of the Supreme Court. They should be protesting in front of this body. The legislature is designed to be controversial, noisy, sometimes even rowdy, because making laws means we have to hash out the reality that we don't all agree. Government is about power. Government is not just another word for things we do together. The reason we have limited government in America... Made my nipples a little hard when he said that. I'm not going to lie. Like, government is not what we do together. It's about limiting power. I was like, yes, yes, keep going. Is because we believe in freedom. We believe in souls. We believe in persuasion. We believe in love. And those things aren't done by power. But the government acts by power. And since the government acts by power, we should be reticent to use power. As libertarians say, government acts by force. Government is forcing people to act in a certain way. It, at the point of a gun, all right? And we don't believe in forcing others to do what we want them to do because we're not God. Everyone has the ability to govern themselves. And so it means when you differ about power, 
You have to have a debate. And this institution is supposed to be dedicated to debate and should be based on the premise that we know since we don't all agree, we should try to constrain that power just a little bit. But then we should fight about it and have a vote in front of the American people. And then what happens? The people get to decide whether they want to hire us or fire us. They don't have to hire us again. This body is the political branch where policymaking fights should happen. And if we are the easiest people to fire, it means the only way the people can maintain power in our system is if almost all the politicized decisions happen here, not in Article 2 or Article 3. So that brings us to a second point. How do we get to a place where the legislature decided to give away its power? We've been doing it for a long time. Over the course of the last century, but especially since the 1930s and then ramping up since the 1960s, a whole lot of the responsibility in this body has been kicked to a bunch of alphabet soup bureaucracies. All the acronyms that people know about their government or don't know about their government are the places where most actual policymaking, kind of in a way lawmaking, is happening right now. This is not what Schoolhouse Rock says. There's no verse of Schoolhouse Rock that says, give a whole bunch of power to the alphabet soup agencies and let them decide what the governance decision should be for the people, because the people don't have any way to fire the bureaucrats. And so what we mostly do around this body is not pass laws. What we mostly do is decide to give permission to the secretary or the administrator of bureaucracy X, Y, or Z to make law-like regulations. That's mostly what we do here. This is really important. This is a really important section that Congress has abdicated their power because they're wusses to the executive branch, the unelected bureaucrats of government. And so they can say, well, it's just bureaucracy. We have no power here. We go home and we pretend we make laws. No, we don't. We write giant pieces of legislation, 1,200 pages, 1,500 pages long that people haven't read, filled with all these terms that are undefined, and we say the secretary of such and such shall promulgate rules that do the rest of our dang jobs. That's why there's so many fights about the executive branch and about the judiciary, because this body rarely finishes its work. And the House is even worse. Uh, I don't really believe that. It just seemed like you needed to try to unite us in some way. So I admit that there are rational arguments that one could make for this new system. The Congress can't manage all the nitty-gritty details of everything about modern government, and this system tries to give power and control to experts in their fields, where most of us in Congress don't know much of anything or uh, about technical matters for sure, but you could also impugn our wisdom if you want. But when you're talking about technical, uh, complicated matters, it's true that the Congress would have a hard time sorting out every final dot and tittle about every detail. But the real reason, at the end of the day, that this institution punts most of its power to executive branch agencies is because it's a convenient way for legislators to have to to be able to avoid taking responsibility for controversial and often unpopular decisions. If people want to get reelected over and over again, and that's your highest goal, if your biggest long-term thought around here is about your own incumbency, then actually giving away your power is a pretty good strategy. It's not a very good life, but it's a ding, 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 pretty good strategy for incumbency. And so at the end of the day, a lot of the power delegation that happens from this branch is because the Congress has decided to self-neuter. Well, guess what? The important important thing isn't whether or not the Congress has lame jobs. The important thing is that when the Congress neuters itself and gives power to an unaccountable fourth branch of government, it means the people are cut out of the process. There's nobody in Nebraska— There's nobody in Minnesota or Delaware who elected the deputy assistant administrator of plant quarantine at the USDA. 
And yet if the deputy assistant administrator of plant quarantine does something to make Nebraskans' lives really difficult, which happens to farmers and ranchers in Nebraska, who do they protest to? Where do they go? How do they navigate the complexity and the thicket of all the lobbyists in this town to do executive agency lobbying? They can't. And so what happens is they don't have any ability to speak out and to fire people through an election. And so ultimately, when the Congress is neutered, when the administrative state grows, when there is this fourth branch of government, it makes it harder and harder for the concerns of citizens to be represented and articulated by people that the people know that they have power over. All the power right now, or almost all the power right now, happens off stage, And that leaves a lot of people wondering, who's looking out for me? And that brings us to the third point. The Supreme Court becomes our substitute political battleground. It's only nine people. You can know them. You can demonize them. You can try to make them messiahs. But ultimately, because people can't navigate their way through the bureaucracy, they turn to the Supreme Court looking for politics. And knowing that our elected officials no longer care enough to do the hard work of reasoning through the places where we differ and deciding to shroud our power at times, it means that we look for nine justices to be super legislators. We look for nine justices to try to right the wrongs from other places in the process. When people talk about wanting to have empathy from their justices, this is what they're talking about. They're talking about trying to make the justices do something that the Congress refuses to do as it constantly abdicates its responsibility. The hyperventilating that we see in this process and the way that today's hearing started with 90 minutes of theatrics that are pre-planned with, with certain members of the other side here, it shows us a system that is wildly out of whack. And thus a fourth and final point. The solution here is not to try to find judges who will be policymakers. The solution is not to try to turn the Supreme Court into an election battle for TV. The solution is to restore a proper constitutional order with a balance of powers. We need schoolhouse rock back. We need a Congress that writes laws and then stands before the people and suffers the consequences and gets to go back to our own Mount Vernon if that's what the electors decide. We need an executive branch that has a humble view of its job as enforcing the law, not trying to write laws in the Congress's absence. And we need a a judiciary that tries to apply written laws to facts and cases that are actually before it. This is the elegant and the fair process that the founders created. It's the process where the people who are elected two and six years in this institution, four years in the executive branch, can be fired because the justices and the judges, the men and women who serve America's people by wearing black robes, they're insulated from politics. This is why we talk about an independent judiciary. This is why they wear robes. This is why we shouldn't talk about Republican and Democratic judges and justices. This is why we say justice is blind. This is why we give judges lifetime tenure. And this is why this is the last job interview Brett Kavanaugh will ever have, because he's going to a job where he's not supposed to be a super legislator. So the question before us today is not what does Brett Kavanaugh think 11 years ago on some policy matter. The question before us is whether or not he has the temperament and the character to take his policy views and his political preferences and put them in a box marked irrelevant and set it aside every morning when he puts on the black robe. The question is, does he have the character and temperament to do that? If you don't think he does, vote no. But if you think he does, stop the charades. Because at the end of the day, I think all of us know that Brett Kavanaugh understands his job isn't to rewrite laws as he wishes they were. He understands that he's not being interviewed to be a super legislator. He understands that his job isn't to seek popularity. His job is to be fair and dispassionate. 
It is not to exercise empathy. It is to follow written laws. Contrary to the onion-like smears that we hear outside, Judge Kavanaugh doesn't hate women and children. Judge Kavanaugh doesn't lust after dirty water and stinky air. No, looking at his record, it seems to me that what he actually dislikes are legislators that are too lazy and too risk-averse to do our actual jobs. It's Drop Mike. I thought that was one of the best explanations for the abandonment of Congress abandoning their power, abdicating their responsibility, and thereby rendering the entire government completely relevant and irrelevant at the same time. Yeah. It, it is it is it Beautiful. starts with us. It starts with the leaders of this country, which is you and me. We have abdicated responsibility for our own lives to the blacks did it, the whites did it, the gays did it, the straights did it, the Mike Pences did it. We've abdicated all of our self-responsibility to the identities of other people that have stolen opportunities from us. Those Mexicans took my job. Those The white man is oppressing my community. And the government, which is another boogeyman that that libertarians fall prey to the government has stopped me from doing this it's too big it's too powerful we have abdicated responsibility for ourselves we have abdicated responsibility for our communities we have abdicated responsibility for our country if you think that we can never get out of afghanistan it's because you haven't tried it's because you don't give a shit enough and you're never going to try because you have a defeatist attitude. You have abdicated. And so therefore your leaders have seen that, your quote-unquote leaders have seen that it is okay for them to do the same. I'll just transfer uh, responsibility over to these bureaucrats. So that's how you end up with three million employees in the federal branch who completely destroy the economy and eat away at the substance of the United States of America, it is because you've let them. So if you don't want them to keep doing it, then you have to stop letting them. You have to stop blaming other people for your problems. You have to stop blaming other people for your failures in life. You have to take responsibility for yourself, and you have to start getting in the face of legislators, local, state, and federal, and start controlling them. And saying this isn't okay. I didn't elect the the district, you know, the this district. I can't take you seriously. Why? Because you're in a towel. You're in a blanket, like a little baby. Oh, someone else is making me cold. <laughs> you, but you you're are, part of the problem. You are making me cold. <sighs> that was one of the best explanations. Of what is wrong with the American system. Yeah. And it's following the heels of his book about p- how people have abdicated personal responsibility. Mm-hmm. And the people who really needed to hear that are not going to hear it. They're not. They're listening to this program because they already understand a lot of these principles and they're looking for clarification. That's mm-hmm. why people listen to Li- We Are Libertarians. They're looking to understand. And so the people who never will understand, who... I'm too broke to buy your popcorn, you little squirt. Who will who will turn 
the 12-year-old Boy Scout into an enemy when they walk into a bank, those people are never going to listen. Right. But the point is you have to lead by example. Those people have been led to that path by example. The people that will look at an innocent Boy Scout as the enemy, those are the people who will, they're going to die off sooner rather than later. Like, the Marlboros will take them. <laughs> but you the, mean Paul Malls. Right, <laughs> unfiltered. But you, have, but you have to continue on and lead and explain these principles and share things like this show, share articles, talk to people one-on-one, join groups, donate to groups. You have to be active. You have to lead the way because the people that are listening to this program are the ones that are going to lead the way because nobody else is going to. So it's your job to change the world. So good luck. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, it's because it is. You're right. Lead by example. Live your principles. Understand different things. Just with even the tenets of like just this. The same type of conversation that we have here um, at We're Libertarians. I like to. I have around at work. Mm-hmm. At work, everyone's like, I don't well, like you, you are in trouble. I, but I don't like to talk politics at work. It's like, I bet you can. But if I, if I put some rules in place, it's like, what's this? It's like, just understand nuance and things can be wrong. Things will be correct. We, we, and, and we do not have to agree. And I don't want to agree with you. If you're, if your principle is I'm going to bludgeon you and control you until you believe what I think. Right. And then, then just, just shut up. Right. You know, it's like, so let's talk about this. You know, like we've actually had a good border discussion and and having someone to talk about, you know what? You're right. What I dislike is that people, I hate the violence happening on the border because of people are wanting to come here. And I wish it was more nonviolent and I wish it was the safer way to, for, and, and when he says, and he, when we boil it down, he's like, you're right. The main thing I don't like about the border is the violence and the inherent things that happen because of people crossing the border, uh, quote unquote, illegally. And that's what he, when he boils down, that's what he really cares about. Everything else just tacks on. Right. You know, so like I said, it's nuanced like that. But it's how you go out and change. Now, I don't recommend everyone else going and having politics, talking politics at work. It's very risky. If you have an emotional reaction to someone disagreeing with you, don't. Yeah, don't. Like you if, if you get mad when somebody disagrees with you. Then just don't even bother. Yeah. And then also, like, also watch who you, you know, you talk politics with, you know, because there's some people that are not emotionally ready to talk about it. It's they're so vehemently they've got they've got such they brought so much baggage to the table. You know, that's a red flag. They're, they're not ready. They're not ready to any. They're not ready to open an opinion. But some people, you know, you'll find out that they'll have like they they don't they will automatically not feel in one camp or the other. Like, yeah. you know, talk i remember when i wore my wheel libertarian shirt to work and then like the person who recruited me you know like brought me to the side and goes like i know you were libertarian i voted for gary johnson it's like cool and we went out to lunch and talked right you know and then you know like meanly didn't feel alone it was awesome right so all right no undercover news. I've got some. I just don't feel like it. I'm I'm too irritated. I've, I've see. I've I've done. I've worked myself into a lather. Started out. This was a hopeful episode. All the things that are going right in society. And then, you and then I had to call everybody idiots. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
I blame you guys, you listeners, for not putting this information. Go to humanprogress.org. Share stories of how... I think libertarians, I've always said this, libertarians are too much change, not enough hope. Our principles are at work. They are working. They're changing the world for the better. And people don't see it because they don't see an alternative. Correct. Because we spend too much time with the Colin Kaepernick stuff and memes. Love my memes. My memes. I used to call them memes. Memes. John Muser used to get so mad at me for calling them memes. What's in here? Memes. You go back in this program early enough and you hear me talking about memes. Mm-hmm. Oh, he used to get so mad. <laughs> All right, Harry. Final thoughts for the episode. One, please subscribe to the YouTube channel so I can wear my onesie. It is cold. I have grabbed uh, Spangles' um, blanket off his couch. It uh, smells like, um, uh, how can I put this, old popcorn and dryer sheets. It's like <laughs> it's like this weird thing of like you can tell like he has binge watched TV shows and read things in this thing, but it still smells like like his laundry sheet looks like so i don't know what he uses but it's you know it's still strong on this thing um the <laughs> are you saying my my blanket stinks is that what you're I'm not saying, saying it stinks it just clearly this thing has been binge watching stuff all weekend but it still smells nice thank you all right you know, good you know, got, I, you know my thing is like i the idea that somebody would walk in here and think it smells in here is like my i see red yeah, I have a carpet cleaner. I, I just can't like I was the smelly kid in elementary school. So like you have to tell me if things stink because yeah. then I need to do fix it immediately. I uh, no 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 because no. like you'd probably start you know break out your shark steamer midway through the show. Oh yeah, you know he's done this once by the way. Esteemed. The- oh oh, Greg Greg was like I've never seen you like this, and it's because the cat had pissed somewhere over there. I was like I've got to get it up. You got to get this now. But yeah, but no, it does not stink. I'm just saying like the the blanket has evidence of binge watching but it still smells nice because if it didn't smell nice i would probably put it on the ground but or i probably not it's still cold in here um let's see with like i said the things are getting better and i think the most of the time especially when a anarchist or libertarian sees like it's like anything bad it's just more of we know that it can be better and we see the change in the system that slows everything down right that's what we're seeing that we hate because we know we would be better. And then we get upset when we see different people. Like I remember watching Neil deGrasse Tyson on the Joe Rogan podcast like a month ago. And I was looking at someone who I was like, wow, this guy's, you know, intelligent, but he is so min maxed in science. So when he starts getting outside of that, I just look at him like, wow, bro, really? (laughs) Do you even Liberty bro? <laughs> Hilarious. You know, I was like, man, I could take this dude to school. He doesn't you you don't get it. You don't get anything at all. But he's so min max in science, you know. He would school me if he would start talking about planets, but starts talking about anything else. He's like, listen here, bro, you're not in the university anymore. Let me show you how let me show how the world works. <laughs> um But yeah, the and then the Colin Kaepernick thing is like most people who are going to wow that's cold. Um, you're going to stop buying. Who said they're not going to buy Nikes? They are correct. They haven't. They haven't bought them. They haven't bought them since probably the '90s, even at that most. You know, but so yeah, there's like that. And also with all this Eminem stuff, this is awesome. Eminem has is his is um I am upset that Eminem. Um, only people who respond to Eminem are just these white rappers selling these white rappers getting rich off of another white rapper. It's terrible. I feel that's awful. Feeding the system. 
Um, everyone's like, "Oh, they're roasting each other." No, Eminem's going to make Machine Gun Kelly rich. So this is some bull crap. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, I'm done. All right. Uh, thanks to the Libertarian Coalition and um, to Paul Jonathan Eads Jr. and uh, the Libertarian Coalition, uh, Donald Keller, uh, doing great work over there, by the way. Um, Paul Jonathan Eads Jr., Christy Avery, Craig DaCosta, and Jason Doolittle. Uh, thank you guys for being our $100 a month patrons. You guys are awesome, and thank you to all of our patrons. Uh, let's let's go back and let's take a look at some of the new people this month and and thank them, because we had a great month. A lot of people adding in. Um, uh, let's see. Aaron Christensen, William Emery upped his donation. Brian Litton, Shane upped his. Uh, it's a repeat. It's repeating. Pete and repeat. Andrew Berg, Daniel Harris, Zach Spoonamore, Rob Place, Jake Middaw, uh, Jason Doolittle upped his to 125 from 100. Uh, and uh, yeah, so a lot of growth in the Patreon. Thank you so much for that this month. Uh, I think I just saw Shira, Shira Newman, Jacob Norton. Thank you guys for joining in August. Appreciate it very much. Uh, you know, we bring you points of view and information that you don't really hear anywhere else, even on Libertarian Podcasts, and that can only continue if you join our Patreon. You get bonus content. There's all kinds of goodies, including posters and store discounts. We have a store, so if you want a t-shirt, go check that out at wearelibertarians.com slash support. You can, if you buy on Amazon, then you can buy through our link. Uh, we've got all kinds of We've got crypto. You can donate via crypto. Mm-hmm. So anyway, a lot of ways to support the show if you go and check that out. But here, excuse me, a hiccup. Harry's cold, so we need to go. Thank you for being here, Harry. Thank you. Thank now, you. now I'm mad that you said my blanket smells. I just said it has evidence of binge. I, do, I don't know what that means. Just got evidence. Well, that's my blanket. Yeah. If you were a woman, you'd think it smelled good because I have a certain musk. That brings all the boys to the yard. <laughs> all right, everybody. Thanks for joining us here on the program. And we will see you. Uh, in, and I'm thinking, and I'm probably going to change the Thursday night show, by the way, to Saturdays. And here's why. It, doing a daily show, it's either do the daily show and do it and do it this way, or do less than a daily show and weeknights. It's just too much. I gotta keep my job until <laughs> mm-hmm. you get that Patreon up. I gotta, I gotta get job. I gotta make sure that I'm balancing. Uh, so, so expect those shows on Saturdays now yeah. instead of uh, instead of Fridays. So, live shows on Saturday. I like the idea of the Saturday show. Yeah, because some days that you know, if Gunther's with Grandma, you know, like sh- I can Heck do, yeah. t- I can you know do a two a week. Yeah, I think it'll be a lot easier on the co-host too. That's what they all said when I floated by them today. So, and it gives me more time to prep in between episodes because what I found is like, you know, the the Thursday show is a lot looser because I cram so much for Tuesday. So this will give me a little bit more time to prep for uh, those days. So, all right, guys, thanks so much for joining us here on the show, and we I'll see you tomorrow on the Chris Spangle Show, and we'll see you on Saturday here on We Are Libertarians. <laughs>